Hello to all of the podcast listeners. Uh, in today's episode, we have a little bit of a special one because we have a client and athlete, Austin Sals, who's going to be joining me for a chat all about training and in particular, the journey that he had on a recent project this past year, which is God in the Details, a V12 over in Leavenworth. I get that right in the terms of the detail, have Mike there? Yeah, 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 that's right. Okay, that's good. I just, uh, the last minute I went, I have got the location right here, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, Leavenworth, Washington, over in the States. Well, uh, welcome to the episode, uh, Austin. Um, I'm really interested to uh, just get into a little bit of a, I suppose, a journey with you about um, the work that you've been doing in terms of this project, um, breaking down some of the things that really made a difference to you and uh really got you to the point where you know you got the send but the stuff that you also learned from working with your coach who was john proctor yeah yeah that's right when i first started working this thing um i realized pretty quickly that it was going to be a pretty heavily heavy fitness boulder if that makes sense it's it's i one day i counted 37 hand and foot moves at least at my height and reach um, and so I knew that like to have the gas tank to pull through all those moves, I would need to really buckle down on training. Um, but, you know, initially I wasn't working with John when I first started the boulder. Um, and I knew that like, I own at, at the time I only had a few tricks that I knew to, to, to utilize, you know, my tool bag just wasn't that full. Um, and, you know, as I was going, getting to the summer months when you the heat in Leavenworth kind of pushes everyone out. I knew that like, I would need to work with somebody to, to really figure this thing out. Um, not only because, uh, I needed better fitness, but also like, I knew that my head game wasn't right, you know, quite right. Um, I knew that, you know, there probably elements to my nutrition that weren't quite right. Um, and I really wasn't sure what to do next. I, I was kind of at a loss. I'd been using crimped for a while and I kind of was doing the same things over and over. Um, and so at the time I was just kind of left with the blank of like, I don't know what else I can do. Um, and then I started working with John and, and things changed pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, within a few weeks of working with him, I, I knew that like, okay, this guy knows way more than I do. Um, and, uh, and he's so responsive working with me one-on-one that anytime I had a question or around like, am I doing this workout wrong? Which I found was the case with some of the workouts I was doing in the past. He's like, yeah, you, you, you might want to change this or, or do this differently. Um, I realized that I was getting more out of my training as well. So it made a huge difference. And I think was ultimately the reason that I ended up getting the project. Well, before we kind of um, dive right into the kind of whole projecting process, and I think there's a whole load of things that we're kind of going to tease out from that. Um, I really want to take a step back in time, really, and get a little bit of perspective on where you've come in your climbing and training journey so far so it'd be really cool to just really go back to the beginning and find out you know what did those early years of climbing look like for you um how long have you been climbing for and for training for um and has your you know your interests and your disciplines changed over the years at all yeah it's uh, great questions i i started climbing when I was in middle school, I, I can't remember the, the exact first time I have photos when I was a very little kid climbing, but I would say I didn't really start taking it seriously until I was in middle school and going into high school. So I've been climbing, I guess that puts me around 15 years. Um, 
when I, it was really though, when I started uh, climbing for the University of Texas, that I started climbing like with a team and with a coach for the first time. I wasn't on uh, a youth team. And before that, I was just kind of like climbing for fun, climbing socially. Um, but when I started competing for UT, is, that's when I really got serious. Um, and for the first, I want to say three of the four years I was uh, in college, I was sport climbing predominantly. And I think a lot of that had to do with just where I lived. I was living in Austin, Texas, and most of the better climbing there is sport. Uh, it's all limestone. So it's a very different style. Um, you know, a lot of pockets, a lot of tufas, textures, never great. Conditions are never great being over hundred degrees. They're like almost always, um, and the humidity being high. So you, you just develop a really different style. Um, and I think that's partially why I gravitated to sport climbing. Um, because obviously like conditions, um, you never, I never felt quite as powerful as I, I do now where I can climb somewhere where it's cool. And, um, you know, the, the texture is a bit different. Um, so that's really where I started out was, you know, heavy sport climbing. It was as I, you know, I, it's actually the consequence of an injury and recovering from that injury, mostly just kind of like pulling off and on, um, doing things boulder, uh, with bouldering where I kind of that's when I made the transition as I was kind of leaving the team, uh, leaving college and graduating. That's when I started focusing more on, on bouldering. Um, and, uh, right after college, I moved up to, to Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. And I've been climbing here and living here for the last five or so years. Um, and that's really where I think I found my style. Um, I would say that like 90% of the things that I like to climb have some kind of compression element in them. Um, there's just something about it that I like. I think it suits my body type really well. Um, I'm kind of a bulkier guy. So I really like when I can use all of my strength on something. Um, and you know, the project obviously had, had some of that in it, but I think for me, that was my test of like, how fit am I, uh, how good a shape I am, am I in? And am I just a one trick pony? Can I do more than compression bouldering? Um, and, uh, and I think that's where the, tr the training really needed to come in. I think for me, the strength was able to get me to a certain point. Um, and then I really needed to figure out, okay, like how do I improve my technique? How do I start training, um, training things that don't just involve like heavy weightlifting and campusing and max pull-ups and, and things like that. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's, that's really what I was working on with John, but that, that's a, a bit about my background. Um, and what, what yeah. was your... What was your grade progression like over the years? So, you know, in year one, three, five, set, you know, and yeah. so on. how did that look like in terms of that, that progression through the grades? Was it just fairly steady and linear all the way through? Or do you have, do you get stuck at any points? How's that looked over your history so far? I think definitely with bouldering. Um, with sport climbing, I think, you know, sport climbing, I've definitely regressed since when I was competing in school. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with just like my body completely changing. Um, you know, one of the super surprising things that people, especially now when people meet me is I, I didn't weigh over 110 pounds until I was like 22. Um, I was very small in, in high school. And I think that really suited like sport climbing, just me being very small, um, not putting tons of pressure on my uh, hands. I think I just naturally gravitated towards it. But I noticed that as I started like filling out um, and I, I just, I think my body type puts on muscle pretty easily. I noticed that like I was getting better at bouldering than I was at sport climbing. And I really plateaued out in the mid 13 level um, from a sport climbing perspective. Um, but I noticed that like I was making con 
consistent improvements with my bouldering. Um, and I, rem I do recall the first time, you know, I, I ever bouldered, like being pretty decent at it. And I think, you know, being such a smaller person um, and, and, you know, growing up in Texas where like, you know, you're mostly dealing with team sports and contact sports. It was the first time I realized like, oh, my body is, my body size is not going to be a massive limiting factor in this sport. If anything, it's a huge advantage. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so that, that's a bit, you know, about how I kind of got into bouldering and, and, and that, but I think with, uh, the, within the last few years, I also have noticed like up until I was working with John, I was, I was flatlining at like V10. I, I, it took considerable amounts of effort for me to get past that. Um, you know, I had some success, you know, before that and, and very sporadically, but it was always something that was either very, very suited to my style or something that felt like kind of like a, a freak accident. Like, I, I don't know how I got to the top of that. Um, but I would say that I was kind of plateauing around that V10 level before that. I think it was around V8. Um, but I think into, up until V8, it was kind of smooth sailing for me. I, I think just having, you know, being naturally athletic and picking it up pretty quickly, I was able to get to that point. Then flat stopped around V8. That's when I started really training and, and, and buckling down with the stuff that Crimped was offering. And then um, beyond that, I got to about V10 and I felt like I don't know how to get past this. Um, and uh, I think with John, we've, we've actually started to, to do that. And I feel like I'm breaking through that second plateau now. Yeah. Okay. And, and then the, the kind of last element that I think is always really useful for context and it's something that I talk about quite a lot when I either write articles or I'm working with uh, athletes or clients is it'd be always, I think it's always really interesting to also know a little bit about just your kind of, I suppose your lifestyle setup um, and how that works in relation to your climbing as well, because um, there's always a big difference between someone who might be working a full-time job, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, um, maybe even if you add on top of that, um, you know, uh, full-time relationship, uh, kids, um, complicated, uh, you know, families, um, all the way down to someone who might actually be at 19 years old um, and be still living at home, being supported by the family um, and be, do be doing part-time studying, for example. So I think there's a big spectrum here. So I think it's always interesting to hear what your particular lifestyle setup is, you know, having just recently achieved, you know, a V12. Yeah, I, um, I work full time uh, at a big tech company here in Seattle. It keeps me pretty busy um, and I'm, I'm married, but, but no kids. So I do, uh, I am able to kind of make a lot of time to train, but I'm not at the point where I can, you know, uh, train twice a day or dip out in the middle of the week if conditions look good. I do still have a job and, and, and commitments there. Um, but for the most part, I am able to kind of live that like weekend warrior lifestyle where most weekends I do try to get out. Um, most days I try to train uh, nothing, you know, beyond the, the job that I work really holding me back from from working harder. Yeah. OK, well, um, let's uh, kind of you know, get into the training journey and, and what it really uh, took to get that project done. Um, and I know that, you know, climbing any, any 
problem of your first of a grade is a significant one. But I think one of the things that was really interesting about God is in the details is that it's a problem which isn't just, you know, six simple basic moves, for example. This is, you know, something by your own words is, you know, 37 individual hand movements um, that you had on this project and is, you know, a reasonably complex somewhat long problem so it sounds like it was something that had a lot of elements for you to address to actually get the thing done yeah definitely um to clarify it was i counted the hand hand and foot movements as well okay. um, just because there's a lot of shuffling the feet around to set knee bars to get heel hooks toe hooks etc um but you know it, it required a lot of movement um i i think most people that i've talked to who had done it in the past um, I found were pretty tall. I'm, I'm five foot seven with the plus zero reach. So there were elements there where I had to add sequences into the boulder that other climbers in the past hadn't. Um, and, you know, it, it was just way more moves than anything I had really worked before. So I had to be sharp. And, you know, the boulder problem itself is the low start, um, you know, very low start to a, a V9 boulder problem um, that you can kind of just pull on in the middle of the, in the middle of the boulder. So I knew that like, it does, it's not like, you know, you do a, a couple hard moves and then it gets easier. It, if anything, it gets progressively harder and more sustained throughout the boulder. So, um, you know, there's a lot to work through there. I think the, the first bit that I really noticed, you know, this working this in the first season um, was just like, I mean, the very first thing was just the tactics were all wrong. Uh, I had a, a habit of going to the boulder, um, warming up on a nearby, let's call it a V0. Um, I'd do that like six times, and then I'd immediately start climbing as hard as I could. Uh, I wasn't really paying attention to what I was eating. I wasn't really paying attention to um, getting enough water or resting well in between attempts. I would just attack the thing for as long as I could. And wherever I would find that I was like most consistently falling, I would say, okay, this is the part of the problem that's the hardest for me. After I feel like I, I very obviously hit a point of diminishing returns, I would go, nice. All right. Well, placing this heel, that's, it's a blind move. That's where I have the most trouble. I'm just going to now work this individual move until I can't pull off the ground anymore. I'm so tired. And I really quickly realized like, that that approach was not wise. Um, I was noticing that fatigue levels from those sessions were carrying into the next session. You know, even with a week of rest, I felt like things were still sore. I didn't quite, you know, I wasn't quite back at a hundred percent. And, and that just continued to happen. Um, in the first season that I was working, I was just getting more and more worn down. And I think I, it was really in a point of desperation where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I, I, I felt like I was no longer executing some of the easier moves well anymore. Um, and I realized like, I need to call it quits. It's way too hot. Um, I think the, you know, training that I was doing for the Boulder problem, you know, I didn't see that it was actually helping me. If anything, I, I just noticed that I was just so tired that the, the training exercises were either not productive or they were digging a deeper hole. Um, so I just knew that I needed help. Um, and that's really when I turned to, to John and to, and to Lattice to say, okay, like, what do I really need to do? Uh, I, I kind of, in my mind said, it's over a hundred degrees, you know, Fahrenheit in Leavenworth for most of the summer. Um, 
normally I take the summers off and, you know, climb opportunistically and, and really try to focus on training. But I said, you know, I'm going to just work with a coach for the next three or four months and really, really like get to the grindstone and train my ass off so that I can approach this in the fall with everything I have. Um, and so ultimately that's what we did. Um, and we can talk a bit more about like what I did over that, uh, over that, you know, summer training camp as I've been referring to it. But, um, I think that, uh, ultimately it's the stuff that we did there and the stuff that I learned there that ended up, you know, leading to the sun. Cause I, I was able to do it within the, the first three sessions back. So everything I did over that uh, time period was productive because I think before that I'd put in, I mean, maybe over 20 individual sessions into it and for it to go that quickly, you know, I don't think it was a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know one of the things that in particular will be, you know, really relevant and interesting to people listening is that, is this element of, you know, project specificity and that, and in particular with this is that you, you know, you've got a project here, which isn't a really short boulder problem. It's quite complex. There's a lot of hands and foot movements, the time under tension on the project is quite long and you really address that through, you know, a consistent regime of this anaerobic capacity training um, in your training with John. Can you kind of break down what that process was like for you actually, you know, doing that style of training for the first time and how that actually played out and how it felt in terms of the changes that you saw in your own climbing? Because lots of people, when I put them on this form of training, so that's kind of what I class as short end strength endurance training um, or short end power endurance training is a very particular type of training. So, so how was that for you? Yeah, I think the training itself is probably, you know, the most exhausting, hard training I've ever done. I find anaerobic capacity training to be absolute, like, absolutely, like, exhausting. Um, So um, I think before I was working with John, I just avoided it because I didn't like it. You know, you have a tendency to gravitate towards the things that you like. I noticed that, um, you know, in the past, the things that I would gravitate to would be like max hangs because it was short and it made me feel strong. I liked to campus because it was fast and it made me feel really powerful. Um, I like to do the same ab workouts because it was just like part of the routine I was doing. I like the bench press because I used to do it in the past. And like I said, it made, it just made me feel good. But I think one of the things that you have with a coach is that ability to be accountable to someone and, and to have someone just kind of be calling you on your BS to say like, none of that's going to help you. You know, um, what we really need to figure out is like, what, what does the project demand, especially if it's something that is at your limit? I think, I don't think you can get away with as much of just kind of doing general training. I think you really have to get into it and figure out like, like, as you said, like, what's the time under tension? Um, you know, uh, what, where's the crux is like, what kind of crux is it? You know, cause, uh, if it's not something to, you know, in the past, I was like, oh, I need to really fingerboard a lot. But then I realized like, oh, my finger strength has nothing to do with why I can't do this boulder. Um, my finger strength is fine. So it, for me, it was really pinpointing down like what it actually was. And a lot of it was that anaerobic capacity training. Um, I think one of the workouts that John had me do that I think was probably most, I could see the most direct correlation to what I was doing um, was uh, a workout called extended boulders. And he did it as a combination workout. So I would climb 10 
really easy boulders in 10 minutes um, at around like a V1 level just to kind of uh, warm up, get things moving. And then I would immediately go into a, uh, it was, it got progressively harder. It was a 12, then a 14, then a 16 move uh, boulder problem. And with that boulder problem, I was really targeting a 70% completion rate. And the interesting there was that if I found that I was executing more than, you know, 70% of the reps, um, like easily, then I needed to make the boulder problem itself much harder. And I think from the time that I started creating the, you know, this long boulder problem on, on a spray wall, it, it went from probably being like a V5, V6 boulder to like much harder than that, probably at like a V9 level. Um, and it was just because my, my uh, conditioning was getting so much better. Um, so we would start with 10, 10 easy boulder problems, go into that extended boulders workout, and then end with um, 10 easy boulder problems. And, and my understanding was that that was also to help with, you know, recovery, um, you know, doing the easy problems kind of sandwiched in the middle. Um, but man, those extended boulders, I still, I went from absolutely dreading them to like really looking forward to them because it was, uh, it was an incredible feeling to like be at the end of my training and to, to have the boulder problem feel like this is not a big deal, but also I have no idea how I would even make this harder if I wanted to. Um, and so it was really that where I felt like my conditioning was so good. I wasn't breathing hard. I wasn't getting pumped, you know, 16 moves into something that I realized like, okay, I, I have the gas tank I need to, to send this problem. Um, and I don't think I'll be out of breath. I'm controlling myself. I'm not cutting feet willy nilly. Um, everything I'm doing is intentional. Um, and I think that, you know, doing an extended boulder problem, particularly one that you're just modifying you, it, it's a good mental exercise as well, because it almost becomes a sense of like the moves are on autopilot. And that's really what it needed to be across 37 handed foot moves. I couldn't be sitting there thinking about what I was going to do next. Everything had to be like, okay, keep moving, keep moving. If you're going to rest, it needs to be intentional and then move on. Um, and so that workout was both a good mental drill for me. And it was also a really good, um, like physical conditioning drill. Um, we also did things like replica boulders. Um, but I think that was the, the workout that I can most pinpoint to the success. Um, and, and like I said, both for the physical and, and mental benefits. I think one of the things that, uh, I really, like and value about the anaerobic capacity training uh, so that really short end you know endure as many hard moves as you possibly can typically of a time under tension of somewhere around 45 seconds to maybe a minute and a quarter is that unlike anaerobic capacity training or you know a repeater a very high intensity repeater exercise that you might do on a fingerboard which is very controlled and has a lower level of skill and execution is that when you do this stuff that's fatiguing and you are literally going to your limit, but on a, a longer time basis on the wall is that it really teaches you how to also climb well and be accurate and execute with high precision when you're very fatigued and granted there's a degree of risk that comes with this with training because anything when you're approaching failure and you're trying very hard and doing high quality work increases the risk. But when we're talking about well-trained athletes and the ability to execute at your limit, it's a critical form of training. And I think every climate that we've worked with over the years, who's done a cycle of this anaerobic capacity training has come out of it and gone, whoa, okay, that's a new thing. I hadn't quite grasped what this whole thing was about. 
and then of course they see the benefits from it so yeah as you said at the start it's very hard work but if it feels very hard work and it feels pretty full-on you're probably getting it about right yeah yeah that's absolutely true i think you know as you said the, the additional benefit is it really hones your technique like it if you're doing i think it was something like four repetitions across four sets uh, on these extended boulders with I think three minutes rest in between the reps and maybe five between the sets. I mean, it's not a ton of time to rest. So you don't get much of a leash if you screw something up or you're taking too long to do a move or you're thinking too much. So your technique improves fast. I mean, I noticed my footwork getting better. I noticed that if, you know, if I was taking a rest, it was because I decided to and not because I needed to. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you feel, I felt way more athletic coming out of that. Um, than I think any other training I've ever done. Um, and, you know, I think it was really, really important for the, for the Boulder problem itself. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that was really, really key to the success there. And uh, what did you, what did you experience in terms of uh, coming on board with us and working with a structured program where you had a coach, you know, really help guide and structure your training in terms of deliberately and specifically creating variety and fresh stimulus in your training because you know as we heard from your training and climbing history you know you're not you know one two years into your your climbing career or your climbing journey here you've done a, a fair bit of hard work and graft ready and you've got to a good grade as well already so i'd love to hear what you found with that, that new fresh and changing and variety of stimulus and how that kind of changed things for you? Yeah, I think it's, it, it's that we're all, you know, creatures of habit ultimately. Um, before I began working with John really closely, I used to do roughly the same thing week over week. And I think what I was doing, I mean, the, the, men, the, the tactic that I approached my training with before was, why focus on something that you're not good at when you can level to 10 the things that you think you're good at? Like, that's the general approach I had. I was like, I'm not going to improve my footwork quickly, but I can improve my strength pretty quickly and I can improve my, my power pretty quickly. So I noticed that I would just fall into traps of like doing tons of max hangs and not really monitoring. Like, you know, I had a good sense of like, oh, I need to take three weeks on one week off, but I wasn't like, I would do the same max hang workout over and over again. Or if I needed to work on my anaerobic capacity hanging, I noticed that I was doing density hangs a lot. Um, and I, but I would do them like twice a week. And just, that was the only thing I was doing. And I think part of that was because I didn't know what else to do. Um, I didn't, I, I, I didn't think in my head, like, oh, I should probably structure something like an extended boulders just because I didn't have the experience to know to structure something that way. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the things I actually remember, uh, an email thread that I had with John where like, we were doing a lot of lock-off training and it felt amazing. Cause I'd noticed I was getting really strong. Um, and I, I remember asking him like, Hey, why aren't we doing this anymore in the next training phase? And he was like, you know, well, you know, the reason I've put, you know, maybe max strength pull-ups in here instead of lock-off training is because, you know, uh, we need to keep the stimulus fresh and make sure that your motor, the motor units in your upper body remain well recruited. Um, he had noticed that I was in a prolonged peak period. Um, so that, I, so I was probably de recruiting and I didn't 
know that that was happening. Um, so he put in things like max strength pulls to help combat that. And it was really that like idea of like, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you don't notice that it's not working as well anymore. Um, it's also a great way to get injured if you're doing the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, rotating the um, exercises that you're doing and the activities that you're doing um, can help you reduce your risk of injury for sure. Um, but I think a lot of it was, like I said, you know, you you don't you don't know notice something unless someone someone's working with you and, and they're holding you accountable. Um, and and really, it was that I that way of like bringing in specificity to the project and keeping keeping things moving um that that i think really helped as well you know i i always joke that like you know i don't ever do lower body workouts and when i do them for the first time in a while i notice that i get really sore um and i think it's that idea of like well yeah i mean like if you ignore something for a really long time or you do something new you can kind of realize that like you're like, oh, my body probably needed this. Like I shouldn't get super sore from doing 10 unweighted squats. Like that's crazy. Um, not that we did those for this project, but um, you know, that just that general idea of like doing different kinds of workouts can, can be really important. And was there any, was there any particular exercises for you that were really quite new for you and you really felt transferred in particular across into the climbing and the you know, performance on rock view, or was it the case of just enough, you know, volume of new stimulus and variety really just, you know, gave you that, that, that response and adaptation that you were looking for? Um, because I think there's two, there's two sides or there's two sort of groups of people that I see um, in terms of that kind of uh, response. Some, uh, it's just a couple of new things that we put into the regime and they go that was brilliant you know just worked wonders others are like no just across the board it's just generally new stuff that really got me going yeah i think i mean there was definitely a lot of new stuff i mean tons of new stuff thrown at me that i think really helped but you know the the first thing that came to my mind was one arm hangs before i started working with john i never did them um like i i i generally was afraid of them from the sense that like, I didn't want to hurt my shoulder. Cause I tried to do stuff in the past. And I don't think I really gave it its fair shot, but I just noticed that like in my head, I, I was afraid of it because I thought I'm going to hurt my shoulders. Mm. Um, and you know, what, what benefit could I get out of doing one arm hangs that I can't get out of two. Um, but I think that doing those one arm hangs, I, you know, I just the weight that I was doing them at, dramatically changed throughout working with John. And I think a lot of that was maybe to do with um, technique, but it was also like, I was seeing much quicker gains there than I was with my two arm. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I, I recall going from like needing to take like 40 pounds off to, um, you know, a few weeks before doing the project, I was able to one arm the lattice rung without weight, um, which was like a personal achievement for me. I, I was really trying to go after that. Um, and a lot of it was just, you know, um, going back and forth between like intentionally doing two arm versus one arm and like doing the right kinds of drills, um, the right kinds of workouts on one arm versus two. Um, you know, I think that just even that, that difference between, you know, we're going to do this at one arm, we're going to do this at two arm. Um, that made a really big difference. Um, I think it, it helped get my shoulders stronger in addition to just like, um, like, like I said, just making my fingers stronger as well. But, um, that I think was a really big one. Um, 
you know, it's, it's the main workout that's coming to mind, but, you know, uh, boulder replicas, wide moves. I mean, there were, there were a lot of individual workouts that stand out as like being particularly helpful for, um, for this. Yeah. I think what, one point that you touched on, um, a little bit earlier, which I think is really relevant to this here is that you were saying about how, you know, if you just keep doing the same thing, then you're going to increase your, your injury risk. And, Really, when you said that, it, it may, immediately made me go, ah, oh, yeah, actually, that's a really interesting point because the real, the kind of, uh, I suppose, the uh, the secret source behind this whole kind of concept, not the secret source, but the, uh, the nuanced part of this is that you won't necessarily increase your injury risk by just doing the same thing itself. Like that bit itself isn't the problem, just repeatedly doing the same thing for a long time. It's more that if you repeatedly do the same thing for a long time, you end up with this issue that to make changes and get adaptations continually, you're battling this diminishing returns factor. So if you keep doing single arm, sorry, two arm dead hangs in a half crimp position in exactly the same way for two years, the amount of effort that you have to put in to get the next 1% gain after two years is massively more than what you had to do at month three in that. So if you're having to do such heavy, heavy, heavy loads, so that's either that function of frequency, intensity, or volume to achieve that overload, the risk is high because if loading in your training cycles is very, very high, you're going to increase the risk of causing injury because the load is high. So if we can then swap things up and create a new stimulus, we can actually still cause and change that and create that adaptation with effectively lower loads. So that's why this whole process is really effective because we can still make changes in the body, but by swapping things up continually. And obviously they have to be sports specific and they have to be muscle specific to your what you're working before. You can't go, oh, well, I'm gonna work dead hangs one minute. Oh, actually now I'm gonna do some calf raises and expect changes in your forearm you know it's still got to be specific to the part of the body that you're working but i think that's a really interesting point that you raised there for sure yeah yeah i mean and, and that really was becoming the case with me with my my hangboarding in particular i noticed that like i was pretty obviously plateauing with my um my two arm i think i was getting you know weight around 150 and i was adding about 150 160 pounds um on my two arm and i knew that like that's not I knew that like, I wasn't seeing much improvement, but as you said, it's because, you know, every, any improvement I would see would be very marginal. Um, but it was also, you know, I, I, even at the time I was like, I don't know how safe this is. And it was also a huge pain to bring all of that weight to the hang boards over and over again. Whereas the setup with the one arm hang is so much easier. So the convenience of that is also great. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, you, I didn't, I don't feel I'm putting myself in a, in a risky situation when I'm hanging, you know, with less weight and I'm getting the same benefit from it, if that makes sense. Um, like I, I don't have, you know, 160 pounds strapped to my waist. Um, if I can do that with, a, you know, a one arm hang and, and just offset a few pounds, um, that's to me, that seems, I mean, just in, inherently, it seems smarter. Um, and I think for all the reasons you mentioned, it might be. Yeah. And also for context for everyone listening is that, it also works the other way around. So I've seen, and I've, and I've had this same experience myself is I've seen 
plenty of people go from doing lots of single arm hanging and then swapping it up to two arm hangs and having really good improvements that way. So it's not like you have to go in one direction mm. from two to single, even if you're an elite level climber, it's more like a change in stimulus and swapping things up. So um, I think that's always, yeah. you know, good knowledge to know, because sometimes you can listen to one example, you know, Austin's example here of going from two to, to one arm and go, that's the way I've just heard it. I heard it on a podcast. I've got to do this, but actually it works both ways. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, I have a tendency too to like jump on anecdotes and be like, that's what I need to do. Um, but it's, as you said, it's, it's, uh, taking the time to be really reflective on what you're doing. I mean, that's where I started with John. I mean, we, st- we had a lot of conversations on like, what have you been doing in the past? What's worked, what's not worked. Like I even shared with him, like some of the training plans I put together for myself. Um, and even when I was doing that, I think he was like, well, it looks like you've been doing the same things over and over again, or like, um, like we, I think we should change things up. And um, definitely, I think a lot of that has um, like, has to start with a period of self-reflection. Like, what am I doing? And, you know, th- I think the benefit of apps like Crimped and, 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 or like even a diary is just that you can go back and see what you've been doing. Um, you can really, really obviously tell like, oh, I've just been doing tons of anaerobic capacity training for the last three months or six or whatever it is. Um, I've been doing only fingerboarding workouts. Like maybe, are, maybe I've been doing the same things over and over again. It uh, could be, an indicator that you need to switch things up. Yeah. And, and how did you find um, the whole process of having the structure and organization of resting and delo weeks? Because lots of clients that I've worked with over the years and we have as an organization have found that a little bit of a, a new thing in their climbing. Lots of climbers out there are just used to kind of flatlining it all year long. They just hope that each week is just going to be a tiny bit better than the previous week and do that 52 weeks, you know, long throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, when I was younger, had that approach of like all gas, no breaks, let's go all year round. Um, I did, you know, when I started training, like when I was getting more serious about training for bouldering, I did become aware of the concept of like, I need to rest. Um, I experimented with six weeks on two weeks off, three weeks on one week off. And I found that three weeks on one week off was really helpful for me. Um, but that's pretty much all I knew about resting. You know, I knew that like during that week, um, I needed to be a bit active, but mostly just kind of take things, take things easy. Um, but I didn't really know about the concept of like, like intentionally doing drills to help with regeneration and recovery. Um, it was like a completely foreign concept to me. Um, and then I also, because I had not been sport climbing for so long, there were just like basic principles of rest that I didn't know of, uh, because I either wasn't sport climbing at a really, really high level, or just because I'd forgotten them, you know, that, that, um, old adage of like rest a minute per move roughly, um, like that didn't even occur to me. Um, and so with the boulder problem that I was working, um, you know, 37 hand and foot moves, I, you know, I, at the end, I was resting about 45 minutes per attempt, but initially I was maybe resting 10 or 15 minutes. So I probably wasn't recovering back to hundred um, percent. And that's really like the mentality that I have when I go into, to rest and recovery is like, you know, it's like a video game character with a health bar. Like I want to get that health bar as full as I can before I take another attempt and not be, 
going into it, you know, not fully recovered, you know, out of breath. Um, you know, I want to be, I want to be as composed as I can be before I put another attempt into something that is at my limit, because, you know, if it's really at your limit, um, and you can do it with 50 per- or if, if you can do it with 50%, um, you know, of your effort, um, it probably wasn't at your limit. Um, and I've really noticed that the last two times I've been out is that the amount of rest that I'm taking in between boulder problem, uh, boulder problem attempts is, is really important. Um, and I was definitely, um, uh, jackrabbiting it before where I'd come off, I'd be like, dang it. Um, all right, where did I fall? And then I'd get right back on. Um, but I would, I would do that habitually. And so breaking that habit was really important for me. Uh, and uh, w- what was your, or how did you find the um, strategy work best for you in terms of uh, fueling and the use of carbohydrates as well in with that uh, training and projecting process? Because I know you had a, a little bit of um, uh, sort of experimentation and change that you, you made on that front as well, which I think is relevant to a lot of climbers who will ultimately have some pretty high level uh, demands in terms of energy uh, use and availability when they're climbing. Yeah, I think, um, like in terms of like nutrition, that's where the lattice 365 community really helped me. Um, I, that was, and it still is the area I think I know the least about in terms of like my understanding of like how to perform at your, at, uh, you know, at the end at edge of your ability and, and, and really pushing yourself. I, I was really only aware of like you need protein, right? That's what athletes need. Um, so I would, I would just eat tons of protein, um, whether that was from a collagen source or just like having tons of protein bars. Um, that's really all I focused on. And I, I was, you know, loosely aware of like targeting about 1.2 to 1.6, grams per kilogram of body weight, but I had no idea like about the importance of, of, uh, carbohydrates until I had hit up the, um, the 365 community and a nutritionist had kind of let me know, like, Hey, you know, like the, you know, the amount of carbs that you consume is going to be really important. Like that's, that's a really important um, thing to keep track of because it gives it's, you know, where you can get a lot of your energy from. Uh, And, you know, the timing and type of intake. um, I also didn't realize how important that was. Um, So I was kind of like pointed to this idea of like, generally you want to consume about a gram um, per kilogram of carbs at breakfast. And then again, around an hour and a half, two hours before you begin your session. And then during your session, and this is the, I think the bit that was the most important for me, um, during your session, you want to aim to keep your carb stores topped up between attempts by consuming around 30 grams of carbs per hour. Um, and that was definitely the element that I was ignoring. I had a tendency of like climbing all day and not really eating and then just eating like an insane person after I got done. Um, you know, burritos, pizza, whatever. Um, and, and that approach, I think left me feeling like broken the next day. Cause you're basically fasting all day, eating a lot at the end of the day and then going to sleep. Um, and I felt, I felt really run down from that. Um, and I've noticed that since I started doing things like drinking juice, um, before I climb having dried fruit, um, I really like, uh, rice cakes and things like that. Having those things while I'm climbing makes me feel like I have a lot more energy, um, and particularly for something that is requiring a, a lot of energy across that many moves, I think it was a really important thing to do, um, you know, while I was projecting, um, and while I was resting in particular, cause I rest for 45 minutes on the thing, um, 
I, I can stop and eat. Um, and, and that was, I think, really important. It helped me stay, you know, alert and active and, and not like I was getting sluggish and tired. And were you taking, and so what, what I'm hearing for you is that you, you took a strategy of uh, taking the carbohydrates on board in both liquid and uh, solid format for you. Yeah, that's correct. I, you know, I, I personally liked to, I would down um, like a carrot juice or an apple juice mix before I climbed. Um, you know, I, I was trying to go low residue, um, like on days before and days of, um, just cause I didn't want to carry a lot of extra stuff in my gut. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, I was trying that approach. So I would, I would I'd stick a lot to shakes, juices, things like that. Um, but then I also just like love dried fruits. So I would have things like tart cherries, raisins, um, you know, flapjacks, things like that, um, in between attempts as well. But I would, I'd say I tried to index a little bit more for, for liquid than, um, than solid. Yeah. Okay. And one other thing that I think is so relevant to like literally every climber out there, whether they are relatively new to things through to some of the best professionals that I've climbed with or worked with in, in the world is this element of um, what I call it, either concern, heightened anxiety, um, state management, and how that impacts back into your climbing when it really comes down to performing on the day and trying really hard on the project and being able to be in the zone where you can actually truly be your best. So all that preparation work that we all do in our training and our, you know, breaking things down to get ready to send, how do we get in the right state and zone for trying that? And I know you've had a, a bit of a journey with this because it's not always been the easiest, has it? No, I, I both with climbing and like in my personal life, I struggle with anxiety. Um, I noticed that it was really impacting me the, the first season that I was projecting the thing, because even, you know, with what I was doing, I felt like I was getting close. And so every time I would go into the session the night before, I'd just be thinking about like, all right, tomorrow's the day you're going to do it. And I'd put so much pressure on myself that I either wouldn't sleep well, or I would just be having the same, like negative thoughts coming through my head. Like, uh, am I going to No, you're probably going to fall here. Or oh, I need to focus on this. And I was just getting so wrapped up and in my head about it, um, that it, I quickly realized like, it's not necessarily the, the healthiest way of approaching things. So, um, so I, I think it, it played a really big role for me. And I, I think that the, the times when it was like most visible were when I would like be about to pull on the boulder problem on the day. Um, I noticed that like my heart rate would start to really, really race. Um, and a few times, I mean, more than a few times I would, I could see my hand shaking, um, just because I had so much pressure on myself to do the thing. Um, so there are a couple of things that I tried. Um, you know, there were definitely breathing exercises that really helped me on the day. Um, but I think one of the really big things for me was when I was resting, particularly because it was a really long rest, I would walk away from the boulder altogether and I would rest somewhere else to collect myself. That way I'd be coming back to the boulder 
in a, in a calmer state. Um, and the boulder problem that I was working, it was a pretty crowded boulder, you know, in addition to having a 12 on it, it has a nine on it, it has a seven on it, and it has a five on it. So there were always tons and tons of people on the boulder, you know, on the boulder problem and dealing with like a crowd for me was also really anxiety inducing. Cause it felt like I was, you know, you know, I, I was not just letting myself down. Like I'm going to embarrass myself in front of all these people if I don't do it. Um, and so, yeah, I think a big part for me was like really getting mentally prepared, doing those breathing sizes, breathing exercises away from the boulder and coming to it calm. Um, and I think the other aspect that really helped me was trying not to focus on too much. Um, I think for this boulder problem, there were a lot of like what I would consider to be mental cruxes. So I would have to remember to like, you know, there's a blind move. I needed to get my foot just right. And, you know, when I was working it initially, I would be so concerned with like the exact placement of the foot that I would lose tension um, because I was more focusing on like, I need to get X marks the spot with my heel every time. Um, and so I was worrying too much about one, uh, like, you know, getting that one element right. And then getting, an, you know, another part of the sequence just right. So I was trying to be perfect everywhere. And I wasn't really focusing on like, okay, generally, what is the thing that I need to do? Um, and for me, it was like, you need to remember to squeeze with your legs and apply as much, you know, just true compression as you can um, with your whole body at the end of the boulder problem. And so that was the mentality that I had going into it on the day that I did it. I was just thinking like, okay, just squeeze um, and try not to think too much about anything. You know, the moves like you've rehearsed everything you've done every individual movement before. So allow that muscle memory to kind of carry you into the, like the projecting, um, like get into like a flow state and just like, if you're, if you're focusing on one thing, just remember to focus on like your breathing and like whatever the project specific beta is. And for me, it was just generally, um, squeeze. Um, but you know, on other problems that might be like, um, all right, you know, uh, really, uh, pull hard right here. Um, and just like remembering something general, right. That, like that, and instead of like trying to be perfect everywhere, um, I thought was really important for me because there was anxiety associated with like, I need to get every single hold. I need to get it right. You know, exactly perfect. Um, and I, I think it was unrealistic. So, um, taking a lot of pressure off of yourself, um, breathing away from the boulder problem. Um, and, uh, and, and eating during that rest was all, all of those things were really, really important for me. And uh, do you feel now as someone that, you know, you say that for you, anxiety is something which crops up in a lots of parts of your life, not just your climbing. Is it now feel like it's a, a tool that you've learned how to, you know, deploy into climbing. And is that slowly impacting back into other things in life or is it the moment just still feeling like something that you need to kind of nurture and and push further within the climbing and replicate it out until you start to really refine and perfect that in climbing what's your kind of your your process going forward with this now i think it's always you know i think mental health things in particular it's always like a quiet battle that you're fighting um and it's i think it's for that reason, why I, I try to be really empathetic to people that I'm climbing with, like if they're, if they're throwing a wobbler, you know, or really getting mad at the crag, it's like, there might be other things going on that you don't know about. Like maybe they just put way too much pressure on themselves um, for it. So 
for me, I, I have noticed that, like it's made me much more empathetic with other people, but it's also, you know, that the tools that I use to deal with the anxiety at the Boulder problem, I've re realized I, I've been doing those same things like in my everyday life. If I'm in a stressful meeting and something, you know, you're in the hot seat, you realize like, okay, I'm just gonna breathe and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna collect myself, um, you know, and, uh, and get through this. But um, yeah, definitely. I think that uh, a lot of those things like, you know, walking away from the problem when you can, um, regardless of what the problem is, you'll always come back to it more cool headed than if you were just to try to like panic and deal with it in the moment. Um, and so that's, that's, I think another really important thing just to kind of know, like, if you can, like it, sometimes it's best to like, just walk away for a few minutes. Um, like don't allow yourself to like fall into this trap of like, you know, just constantly beating yourself up and, and like letting your mind spiral like that. Um, I think the best way to like stop that from happening is like just completely walking away, um, talking to a friend, um, just like getting your mind off of things completely. Um, it allows you to realize that, you know, I was putting way too much pressure on myself. I was thinking too much um, and I just wasn't enjoying what I was doing. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've found really useful over the years with this kind of stuff, and I, I, I'm probably a very similar type of person to you that I, I struggle with it in normal everyday life. Um, like my head tends to go round at like a million miles an hour all the time. Um, like from the moment I wake up till pretty much I fall asleep kind of exhausted in the evening. And I've learned now a time that, uh, and I, I have got a degree of getting in just the right place, but every time it happens, I make a really uh, sort of intentional kind of noticing process of what does it feel like when I feel really good and I'm really in the right zone on a route. And as it happens, I'm like, Okay, so it feels like my head is doing this at this kind of speed. I notice how I'm sort of roughly breathing, what my feeling feels like in my body, that sort of visceral thing. And then I take a note of it. And then when I get into subsequent climbs where it's important, I know I'm going to be at the limit, I check in and see whether I'm feeling like that again. And if I'm sort of thereabouts, I probably will continue and I'll continue with my attempt to go up up the you know the bold problem or the or the route but if I'm a way off that and I am just not feeling like how I know I can do like you I'll quite often go I think I just need to step away from this or I completely change my expectations in the day and go you know what it's just not happening I know how it should feel and it ain't happening right now so let's not just drive myself into a hole with this and I, th I think it's it is doable to get get on top of it despite however you feel initially. Yeah, definitely. And, and not letting, you know, like if you know you're in a bad headspace, not trying to like, I, I've realized that like if I try to push through it, like that session's going to be, if anything, counterproductive because I know I'm not in the right, you know, mental space to probably send the thing. And if anything, I'm just going to like get really tired and fatigued um, trying to force myself to get it together. Um, so sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's, it all, I'll just be like, all right, short of a natural disaster, this boulder problem's not going anywhere. Um, it's going to, it's going to still be here. Um, I can come back to it next weekend, or I can, you know, let's go work something else and then come back to this later today or whatever it is. Um, you know, that, that feeling of like, like you said, checking in and seeing where you're at and then kind of making a call of like, 
do do I think I can reasonably like get it together or do I know that like okay I need to walk away from for a little bit at least and try to collect myself instead of just kind of snapping my fingers you know slapping myself in the face and trying to get back on uh, you know a lot of times it doesn't work yeah um and now that you've kind of been through this process with this particular boulder problem and um, I think it, it, it sounds like you've you've learned so much from it from all different angles of performance on rock and then also the preparation for that. What now lies ahead for you for you know the coming season and for the next year? What 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 are you looking forward to now and what's on what's on your plate coming up? Yeah, I think um, you know John and I have talked about this a bit. I I was so focused on the problem project for so long I wasn't really sure what to do afterwards I had gone into this uh, season thinking it was going to be a battle like it was last season um, and I was fully prepared to spend seven to ten weekends just kind of like going after it so I wasn't really sure Um, and uh, you know I do feel like I'm a lot stronger than I have been in the past so I think right now I'm just kind of trying to see where I'm at like checking in with my own like ability and, and just trying as many problems as I can. Um, there are a lot of, um, you know, boulder problems in Leavenworth that I've never tried because I either was too intimidated by them thinking they were too hard or, um, you know, I just, I was projecting. So I just never got the time because I was so ruthlessly prioritizing that. Um, so that's, that's what I'm doing now is I'm just going to try a lot of different things and find something that I really like. I, I, I ultimately ended up really loving the process of working this project. Um, but I also know that like, if it were, you know, for, like personally for my style comedy, if it were like a two move boulder problem, there's no way I would have put in that work. Cause I wouldn't have found it fun. Um, I really like that idea of like trying to get all your cylinders firing perfectly all at once. So I'm, I'm looking for something that like is going to push me in that way. Um, and, and something that I'm going to have fun actually working. Um, you know, I, I like finding something that's going to be, like a challenge, but I also, I don't want to hate the process. Um, if, if you know what I mean, I mean, I, I, I had a habit of like, just trying to grade chase something and like, oh, I think I can do this one. So I'm going to work really hard for it. And I, I don't want to do that. Um, I want to get into, I want to really get into something that like is fun and rewarding to project. And um, so right now I'm just sampling things and it's been really fun. And I've surprised myself a few times already this season with quick sounds of things that I thought would be, you know, impossible uh, a few months ago, um, just from like a, a climbing ability perspective. So that's been fun to see, um, like performing and, uh, you know, Hey, if it doesn't have 37 moves on it, I might actually have a decent shot if it's only like 10. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's been fun. Um, but yeah, just kind of sampling things, finding something I like putting some time in on it. And, um, and then, you know, taking the, you know, looking at it and saying, okay, what do I need to do to, to get this send? Um, and, uh, and going back to the drawing board with John and figuring out, okay, how do we change training? How do we do X, Y, and Z? But, you know, until all of that starts, I'm just going to try to enjoy, um, enjoy the sampling process. Um, I think it's one of the most fun things, you know, you get to, uh, you know, this weekend, instead of trying to send something, I'm, my main goal is like, there are three things that I've never touched before. And I want to see how they feel. Um, especially for me, right? Like I hate working things that are really reachy. So I'm always like, 
I can't quite tell how far apart those holds are because the guy climbing this is like six four. So um, can I do this? Um, like, I, I love that feeling of like, maybe I can find different feet. Maybe I can do X, Y, and Z. And so, yeah, just sampling things and having fun right now. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, um, it's been great, you know, hearing in person about your process with John and the work that you've done so far. And I'm so, you know, happy to hear how much you've got out of this um, from the time that you've had with our coaching and training and with John so far. And um, I think, you know, one of the things that I want to always point out to any audience when I chat to one of our clients or athletes is that it also comes down a big part of this equation comes down to the attitude and the approach that the person puts into their training. Like there's a lot that we can do on our side in terms of structuring and supporting and putting together the training and advising, but it has to be coupled up with really, really good attitude towards deploying and exercising that advice on a daily basis, because training and performance isn't one over, you know, just two really good quality weeks. It's one over month after month and total and utter consistency and sticking to it. So, you know, make no bones about it. Austin is someone who has been very consistent about his training and sticking to it and staying with the plan. And, you know, he's, he's reaped the results from that. So, uh, you know, I, I obviously congratulate you from that. And um, I really look forward to seeing what you, you know, do uh, through the latter end of this year and into 2022. And uh, so thanks so much for coming on, uh, on this uh, podcast and interview with me. And it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you, Tom. Uh, last thing I want to ask was um, if anyone wants to have a look at your footage of uh, the send uh, and find you on any social channels, um, what uh, handle tag can they find you under? Yeah, uh, it's Austin Climbing. Uh, if you want to check out my Instagram, I also have a YouTube channel. If you're in the Leavenworth area, um, I put up videos of everything or that I, I can because as a shorter climber, I always like seeing when people my height can do things so that's why i started my youtube channel um so yeah you can check me out in those two places oh brilliant well um i will chat to you again very soon i'm sure thanks austin thank you